This is the Strength Through Food Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Julia Feliciano. This is a space for you to become the highest version of yourself possible by ridding your old diet struggles, healing your relationship with food, getting rid of those old stupid limiting beliefs that have been holding you back for far too long so that you, yes you, can have the health and fitness journey that you've always dreamed of in a mind and body that you crave. I've been there too. Binge eating, purging, over-exercising, under-eating, struggling to find balance, and now I'm here to help you by teaching you how to do the inner and outer work to help get you where you deserve and want to be. Imagine this. You're no longer afraid of food. Imagine never feeling anxiety or never feeling stress surrounding food. Imagine going out with your friends, going out with your family, and not wondering if there's anything on the menu that you're quote-unquote allowed to eat. Imagine not going to the gym to burn off what you ate, rather going to the gym to honor your body through physical movement. Imagine looking in the mirror and being proud of how far you have come. Imagine saying goodbye to disordered eating. Saying goodbye to your all-or-nothing fanatical gym mentality. Imagine finding your sense of strength through food freedom. No, it won't come, come easy. It's going to require some work. But I promise you, with the right guidance and the right mindset, I can help you achieve that. This is what my signature one-on-one coaching program, Strength Through Food Freedom, is all about. Be prepared to say goodbye to your food fears. Be prepared to honor your body. Be prepared to no longer feel like food controls your life. And be prepared to find food freedom. I know it sounds kind of out of reach right now, but I promise you, with work, you can achieve it. Let's get into today's episode, everybody. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Strength Through Food Freedom podcast. How's everybody doing? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. We're one day closer to Friday here. And today's episode is something that I recently kind of put two and two together about um, in terms of what really perpetuated my eating disorder, my disordered eating, and my struggles with food and over-exercise. And I don't really understand why I just had this realization. I thought I really understood what perpetuated my struggles and sometimes what perpetuates other people's struggles. Um, But when I put two and two together, it was like this huge light bulb went off Um, for some reason. And I thought to myself, I have to record a podcast about this because I know that it's going to help so many women out there. And if you are someone who has struggled with disordered eating, struggled with over-exercise, then this episode is for you. And what I'm going to get into first is defining what disordered eating is. 
And disordered eating is used to describe a range of irregular eating behaviors that don't necessarily warrant a diagnosis of a specific eating disorder. So although it doesn't fall under, you know, a specific diagnosis, it doesn't mean that it's not healthy, it doesn't mean that it doesn't need attention, and it doesn't mean that it's really not going to negatively impact you, your physical health, and also your mental health. And for, for me, disordered eating is what actually full-on led to my full-blown-out eating disorder of binge eating disorder and bulimia when I was really, really struggling. And when I first started, you know, dieting and exercising, you know, if you're interested in a little bit more about that, you can go back to my very first podcast episode that I recorded right from my phone where I shared my actual, um, like, what started my journey of health and fitness and everything like that. But when I first, first started, right, It's really easy to, when you first start working towards your health and working towards your fitness, you know, you look for certain resources that are just really easy to find. And at that time, I hope I don't sound too dated here, (laughs) but it was Pinterest. So I would go on to Pinterest and I, I recently went back on my account and looked at some of the stuff that I used to pin or save. And everything that I used to do, you know, were, you know, things like, Things that I would save were things like, you know, how to get, you know, non-flabby arms and and how to, you know, get a six pack. And they were all these like crazy body weight type of workouts that I thought that I had to do in order to get the body that I really wanted. So just think like, you know, anything that you when you think of fitness and you think of body image is like the first thing you think of and the first thing people want technically for the most part is a flat stomach and non-flabby arms and and killer triceps and and a big butt and things like that and and that were that was the things that I was reading and learning about um but when in reality all of that stuff from a fitness standpoint is just truly, truly inaccurate. And that's what I was surrounding myself with in terms of what I was educating myself in. And if you are in that state right now, it's not that that is inherently bad, but I'm here to tell you as a fitness professional that a lot of those Pinterest workouts that you see and Pinterest articles that you see, there's, there's no validity to them and uh, there's no actual science behind them. It, 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 they're just very inaccurate. And if you're looking for more guidance in the gym, I would definitely recommend you start following an individualized program catered towards you versus just a generic workout that you pinned from Pinterest. It's a good way to get started if you're, you're truly, truly just wanting to do something, right? But know that eventually over time, your progress is going to halt. Anyway, That is kind of where I started, and it's pretty crazy to look back to see how much knowledge and true knowledge and education I've really gained since then. But those types of things and things that were saying like, you know, cut out this food and cut out this food and do this for a six pack and do this for a big butt and do this for a small waist, you know, surrounding myself in that is what perpetuated my eating disorder and but first perpetuated my disordered eating. So the first thing to um, understand is that disordered eating may turn into more problematic 
eating disorders and put individuals at a higher risk of experiencing certain things. And like I said, that's why if you feel like you are struggling with food and struggling with exercise and, and feeling like this really uneasiness of, of compulsion, maybe, then you may be suffering from disordered eating and you want to look out for that so that you don't full on possibly then have a more problematic issue like an eating disorder like what I experienced. But the first thing to understand are the signs and symptoms of disordered eating that may include the following. So frequent dieting and anxiety associated with specific foods or meal skippings. So say you're, you're always avoiding carbs and you get really anxious around carbs. That is something that I really used to struggle with. Possible chronic weight fluctuations because of the fact that you're really overly restricting and then really overindulging or possibly binging. Rigid rituals and routines surrounding food and exercise. And this is something that I also really used to struggle with. So if I did not go to the gym that day, I would intentionally really undereat. Or if I overate, I would make up for it the next day by doing a lot of extra cardio, by restricting my food, and just feeling as if, you know, I was back on the wagon and always just kind of like this mouse in a wheel going over and over and over again. Um, feelings of guilt and, and shame associated with eating, that is a side effect of disordered eating. And once again, that is something that I truly struggled with and something that so many of my clients struggle with too. And we work towards eliminating feelings of guilt and shame associated with eating. Preoccupation with food, weight, and body image that negatively impacts the quality of your life. That is very, very common. So for me, when I was preoccupied with food, it was I have to eat every three hours or my metabolism's just going to mag magically slow down, which is very, very false. Your, your metabolism doesn't, doesn't just shut down if you don't eat for three hours. Um, you know, preoccupation with my weight. So feeling as if I always had to be a certain weight and if I was over that certain weight, really beating myself up and attaching my self-worth to how much I weighed or what my body looked like. Still a very, very common issue today with some women out there and especially women who initially come to me for help. A feeling of loss of control around food, including compulsive eating habits. So this one hits me hard in the feels. You know, if I was around certain foods that I was severely restricting myself from, I would really, really, really um, feel as if I just had to eat it all right then and there because starting tomorrow, I was getting back on my diet. I was going to be eating quote unquote clean. I was going to be doing good and I would eat so much of the foods that I would restrict myself from that I would start to feel a loss of control around them and I would just feel the need to eat, neat, 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 neat. So that is also something that's very common. And if that is something that you are experiencing now, that is what I help um, women overcome. Using exercise, food restriction, fasting, or purging to make up for quote-unquote bad food. So that kind of um, goes along the same idea of rigid rituals. Um, and, you know, we feel that when we eat something bad, we automatically have to do something to negate what we did. And we look for that instant gratification to make ourselves feel better. You know, we're human. It, it's natural to feel like when we do something wrong, we then want to do something that, you know, will make us feel better and make us feel good. But in reality, what we're actually doing is doing something that's very, very negative, not only for our physical health, 
but also for our, our mental health as well. You know, when you're beating yourself up into the ground by doing extra cardio or by adding all these extra gym sessions in because you ate, quote unquote, bad foods, physically, you're going to run yourself down into the ground. You're not going to recover well from your workouts. You're going to feel exhausted. You're going to feel cranky. You're going to feel possible other physical side effects, you know, and then when we restrict our food, then we're just getting back into that cycle of restrict, binge, restrict, binge, restrict, binge. Um, And then if you are someone who has struggled with this as well, fasting or purging to make up for the the bad foods. Um, and, and purging is probably on the more excessive side, but it still is very, very common and is something that I really used to struggle with. And I never really understood why, even though I was taking part in this fasting behaviors and these purging behaviors, why my body still wasn't reacting and why I wasn't magically skinnier and, and things like that. And, and it's because when you're purging and when you're fasting, you know, it's not going to just automatically negate everything that you ate. It doesn't work like that. So all of these things, disordered eating is really perpetuated by diet culture. And you might hear me talk a lot about diet culture on my Instagram, or you've heard people talk about it as well. Um, And it's something that is a system of beliefs that worships thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue which means that you can spend your whole life thinking you're you know broken just because you don't look the impossibly thin ideal that society tells us that we need to look like and i feel like now that thin ideal is still there there's still you know people that really worship that look and want that look And now I feel like we're getting out of that thin ideal. And now it's more about, you know, women just being curvy and having small waists and a big butt and big boobs and just that quote unquote, like, apple-y type of uh, physical stature, right? And the thing is, when we focus on what our bodies look like, and we, we worship this idea of looking a certain way, we tend to forget that there's a strong genetic component of what you look like right so for me in my family you know I come from an Italian family um you know I'm taller but I have big boobs you know (laughs) things like that like I just have like that that Italian type of like big boob type of body whatever and for a long time that took me a long time to understand was why you know I wasn't looking a certain way well it's because our genetics have a big um factor into what we look like So diet culture also promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, which means that you feel compelled to spend a massive amount of time, energy, and maybe even money trying to shrink your body, even though that, you know, no one can sustain intentional weight loss for more than a few years. You're not always meant to be dieting. You're going to need to go through different phases if changing your body composition is something that you really want to do. And you don't always want to feel as if you're dieting. Um, And it makes us feel that if we do lose weight, we're automatically better than the person sitting next to us. Or if we don't lose weight, then we're automatically worse than the person sitting next to us. And it makes us say like, well, why me? Why aren't I losing weight when I'm doing everything right, I think. And this person starts, you know, exercising for a week and automatically loses weight and that's diet culture just kind of instilled into your brain that when you lose weight or when you look a certain way you're automatically going to be having 
the ability to have a higher status or even more of a physical ability, right? So diet culture also um, demonizes certain ways of eating while elevating others, which means you're forced to be hyper vigilant about your eating and ashamed of making certain food choices and distracted from your pleasure, your purpose, and your power, right? So for instance, when, you know, say I like carbs, which I do, when I was struggling, I thought that it was worse of me and I felt ashamed for liking carbs because diet culture told me that I had to eliminate all carbs to look a certain way or to lose weight. So it's a way of promoting one way of type of eating versus another way of eating. So for instance, keto, like keto is all the rage right now. Everybody thinks that if they do keto, they're going to lose a bunch of weight. And that's not how it works. Um, Just because you follow a certain diet does not mean you're going to possibly find success with it. And if it's something that you can't sustain and adhere to, then that just goes to show that that diet isn't going to work for you and you are possibly just going to always continue to feel like you were always starting over. And that's why dieting is not meant to be done for your entire life. And if you're always looking for the next diet to follow and you're not able to stick with it, then you need to find something that you can stick with and that works for you. So diet culture also oppresses people who don't match up with its supposed picture of health. You know, and this really causes a lot of harms to women or people in larger bodies or even people of color and people with disabilities, right? It damages both their mental and their physical health because diet culture tells us that if we don't look a certain way, we're automatically not as worthy. And if you're someone who struggles with self-esteem issues, then that's really going to negatively affect you as well. So if you don't look like the girl sitting next to you with a small waist and a big butt and her long legs, then you automatically feel worse about yourself because she is the new picture of health and you're not. And how silly does that really sound to compare ourselves and compare our bodies to somebody that may be entirely different than us with different genetics, with different training histories, with different everything. And diet culture is what really perpetuated my struggles with disordered eating, which eventually led to my eating disorder. And I know that there's so many of, of you out there as well that possibly are have experienced or are experiencing right now those same struggles that are perpetuated by diet culture, right? And maybe you're feeling like, you know, oh my God, is she talking to me right now? You know, you're not alone. A lot of women do experience this and it's you don't have to live like this forever. You really, really don't. And that's why when I started to overcome the struggles that I had and, you know, there was other life transitionings that were happening for me, that is why I decided to go back to school for my master's degree in exercise physiology because I wanted to be higher educated in fitness and, you know, some nutrition components and how the body actually works. And that's what prompted me to go for my master's degree And it allowed, my struggles allowed me to then receive the higher education that I have and why I am not a BS coach. And it's why I'm an evidence-based coach because I have not only the education to back it up, but also the experience as well. Um, So that's something you want to look for in terms of, you know, a coach that you're looking to for help, you know, like what's their experience like? What is their education like? What is the type of clientele that they um, help, right? Because when you are looking for a coach, you want them to be the most reputable source, 
right? You don't want to hire someone just because they said one thing and you agreed with it and you possibly like how they look because looking a certain way does not mean that this person is more healthy than the other coach sitting next to them, right? Looks have nothing to do with education, with actually um, practicing what you preach, right? And a lot of the times I find that that coaches who may look a certain way for the for some people, right, are actually the most BS coaches out there and don't actually have some type of higher education. And that's not all of them, but I see it a lot and, uh, you know, it recently came out in social media where this woman was um, caught basically frauding all of her clients with no educational background and literally giving everybody the same program and nutritional advice and making tons and tons and tons of money, you know, and people were hiring her just because of what she looked like. So be an educated consumer in that manner. So, like I said, what that allowed me to do was then want to receive a higher education um, in order to kind of debunk everything that I had originally thought I had learned and been taught, right? Because if you can debunk fitness and nutrition myths to prevent and heal disordered eating, then you're going to have a healthier relationship with food, you're going to have a healthier relationship with the gym, and you're going to be an educated consumer. So that's why I wanted to record this podcast episode, because if you guys know me, which you do, and you know me well, you know that if I hear BS advice given to someone, my eyes are going to roll, I'm going to have this like hard ability to, you know, keep my mouth shut um, in terms of wanting to educate someone properly. Because if I can help one person heal their relationship with food and heal their relationship with the gym and get over their fanatical routine of what they think they have to do and what they think they have to be eating and helping you, then I can sleep well at night. And that's why I like to debunk, you know, fitness and nutrition myths to prevent and heal disordered eating. And that's what my coaching is all about. So if you are someone who is struggling with food and struggling with the gym and you're you're finding that you have a really negative relationship with food and you're looking to find more for yourself right that is what my coaching is all about i'm going to take you from where you are possibly debunk some stuff for you so that you can then start working on habits and rehealing your relationship with food and the gym so that you can not feel that anxiety around food anymore, not feel anxiety around if you don't go to the gym and that fear and that constant fight or flight mode that we're in, right? That's what my coaching is all about. We're going to take you out of there and we're going to make something happen for you so that you can get to where you want to be. And it's going to take some work. It's not easy, but it is possible. So the first thing that I want to debunk are carbs are bad, right? Carbs are not bad for you. They have this horrible reputation. And the first thing people think when they are trying to lose weight is that they have to cut out carbs. When in reality, carbs are your main energy fuel source of any type of kind. They're going to digest differently. And I'm not going to get into the science of that for this podcast episode. Yes, they will digest differently, but carbs are not bad for you. So if you are trying to lose weight and you are eliminating carbs or you feel some type of fear surrounding them, know that 80% of your, just your brain, right, needs carbs to function. 
And, you know, us as women, when women tend to go on very, very low carb diets, that's what actually can eventually lead women to lose their periods altogether, which then will give them um, a bunch of other issues following that that we don't want. And um, carbs are not inherently bad for you. Your body needs them. And when you're saying, oh, well, if I cut out carbs, I'll lose weight. If you cut out any macronutrient, right, carbs, fat or protein, entirely you're going to lose weight yes because you're putting yourself in a calorie deficit and when you're in a calorie deficit that is how you lose weight if it's from carbs if it's from fat if it's from protein it's all about the the calorie deficit it's not one macronutrient over the other and diet culture is huge on telling us that we need to cut out carbs and uh you know nutrition myths are huge on telling us that we need to cut out carbs when in reality it's just it's just not true. Eating at night, right? So eating past 6 p.m. or 8 p.m., that is a myth that is very, very old. That's one of like the first myths I think I've believed, um, and a lot of people still do out there. And eating at night is not inherently bad for you. So if you went to work at 3 and you ate at 3, and then you get home at 9 and you haven't ate since then, and you come home and you're starving and you're hungry, right? Just because it's dark out does not mean your body just shuts down and your metabolism just shuts down and you're going to store all of this food and you're not going to, um, you know, be able to lose weight that way. It doesn't work like that. Your body doesn't know the difference between it being 2 p.m. versus it being 11 p.m. What it does know is its innate hunger cues when it tells us that we're hungry, when it tells us that we're full. So don't feel like just because you're hungry at night that there's something wrong with you or that you're going to gain all this weight because that's just very, very false. It's not true. So good slash bad foods. You guys have heard me talk about this topic before, but it's something that still a lot of people struggle with, especially the clients who initially come to me. Um, no foods are, inherent, are inherently good for you or bad for you. Yes, certain foods will have different properties that make them up, right? But just because you ate a cookie does not make a cookie bad. And just because you eat broccoli does not make you good. You know, food and yourself do not have moral attachments because of the choices that you choose to consume. So the first thing that I do with clients who come to me is we, we get rid of those moral attachments that they use to... Uh, moralize food to possibly moralize themselves and we reframe how we go about talking about foods in order to heal our relationship with food and I find that to be extremely powerful and I find that that first component is how um, women and men will start to develop a healthier relationship with food so the next one cardio slash hit so high intensity interval training is the only thing you need to do to lose weight you have to do cardio to lose weight if your goal is uh, body recomposition right changing a little bit how your body um, looks through the gym if you are doing too much cardio right your body is eventually going to adapt to how much cardio you're doing. So what starts to happen is um, when you're only doing cardio, 
like I said, you're going to start adapting to that. So you're not going to be utilizing it as a tool within your toolbox anymore. And what you're going to have to do to then actually receive the benefits of cardio is you're going to have to do more and you're going to have to restrict more. And the problem with this that I see is that so many women especially will rely on this, right? And then if we turn, it turns out that they're maintaining their body weight on you know, a 1,000 or 1,100 calories per day, right? And they're not happy with what their body looks like and they're not losing any more weight. Well, that's because your body has adapted to the work that it's doing and also the calories that you're consuming. So that's where um, you want to remember that cardio is a tool within your toolbox. You don't want to overly rely on it. If you enjoy cardio, that's great. Do it in a form that you enjoy, but don't feel like you have to do it to lose weight. If your goal is is actual uh, fat loss and gaining muscle and things like that, right? Cardio, like I said, you want to sprinkle it in when you can, if you want to, but you do not inherently have to do it. What will allow you to receive the body composition goals that you are looking for is strength training through progressive overload. So that means adding weight to your sets, um, adding repetitions, doing the exercise with better form, um, adding reps. I don't know if I already said that or adding sets, right? But that is what's going to allow you to develop muscle because what starts to happen is if you're doing the same thing you know, every week, you're going to make the adaptations that you need to then further progress yourself. If you're always changing up what you're doing with your cardio or with your strength training, your body's never going to be able to adapt to that. And you're not going to gain the muscle that you want as long as your nutrition is in line, but you're never going to um, be able to actually see the physical results that you want. So that's a very common misconception that you have to always be changing up what you're doing because, you know, muscle confusion there's no such thing as that. Um, so don't feel like you always have to be switching things up. You want to be consistent with the program that you are on versus doing something entirely different each day. So lifting makes women bulky. I, I feel like this is also a very, very old myth. Um, however, once again, it is entirely false. If you were looking to gain muscle and even if you were looking to lose weight, lifting right, is not what's going to stop you from achieving that goal. Lifting with progressive overload, like what I said, following a program is what's going to allow you to lose weight, is more optimal for fat loss, and obviously it's more optimal for muscle gain. And us as women, we do not develop enough testosterone within us to actually look bulky. The only way you are going to get bulky is if you go home and you inject yourself with testosterone and you put yourself in a massive caloric deficit for a few years and you're lifting and you're lifting and you're lifting and you maybe start experimenting with steroids, right? That is the only way you are going to get bulky. Lifting allows us to generate that curvature if that's a goal look that you want to have, right? It allows us to gain muscle. It allows us to be able to have the body that we may want, right? While accepting the skin that we're in. So, you know, lifting will not make you bulky and it's what you need to be doing um, versus just doing cardio. Scale weight is the only way to know if you lost weight. That is also entirely false because the scale is going to be 
impacted by a lot of different factors. So if we're stressed, if we have to poop, if we um, haven't been drinking a lot of water, if we have drank a lot of water, um, if we're getting our periods, right? So people get all caught up when, when they see the scale fluctuate and go up and down and up and down, right? But what you actually want to be looking for is your weekly average and learn that your scale weight is going to you know, fluctuate. Um, and what we want is that average at the end. So understand that just because you are higher in weight on one day versus the other day, that doesn't mean that you just gained all this body fat. You know, it, it doesn't work like that. That's just our everyday fluctuations. Um, and learning to not get so caught up on what the scale says, rather than looking at other biofeedback factors like stress, sleep, water, fiber, everything like that can help determine why it is that your scale weight is what it is. The next thing I want to talk about here are waist trainers because I see it way too often and unfortunately I see it in the gym. A waist trainer will not allow you to have a flat stomach. From a scientific point of view and from a training point of view, the only way that you're going to possibly see, you know, the body fat within your stomach go down is by exercising, strength training with progressive overload, and um, being in an appropriate calorie deficit. So actually learning what you're maintaining your body weight on now, how many calories, and then what you actually need to be on to have an appropriate calorie deficit for you and your goal. So what it's going to do is it's going to suck you the hell in. And if you're exercising with it on, you're going to sweat, right? And then when you weigh yourself the next day, you're like, oh, look, the scale went down, right? But it's because of water weight. And like I said earlier, water too much or too little or sweating a lot can impact the scale weight. So you're not actually losing body fat. You're just manipulating the scale with water from possibly sweating if you're exercising with a waist trainer on. So please save your money. Please don't feel like you need to get one of those. There's absolutely no benefit to it at all. It is it is truly, truly a fraud. <laughs> it is truly not what you need in order to feel a little bit more confident um, in your stomach area. So I hope all of that makes sense. And, you know, the reason I wanted to go over the debunking and the fitness and the nutrition myths is because I know that this is what perpetuated my eating disorder. And I know that it still perpetuates so many other women's struggles with food and their body image out there because we are told a flux of different types of, of information that is entirely false. And we are not educated enough on what is actual, actually fact. And, you know, this is the type of stuff that you guys want to be listening to. You don't want to be following, you know, wild claims and things like that. Um, when, when questioning things like that, there's, there's three things that you want to say, you know, at what cost comparing to what, and where is the hard evidence? And, uh, my mentor, uh, BioLane or Lane Norton taught me that. And it's something that I've incorporated with not only all of my clients, but myself as well. When, you know, I hear certain things. So you want to be an educated consumer, you want to have a healthy relationship with the gym, and you want to have a healthy relationship with food, and you want to heal your disordered eating, and the first thing you have to do is say F you to diet culture, and F you to the myths out there, and learn what it is that is actually fact. And maybe you learned these things, and you're still finding that you're still struggling, and that's where 
you may benefit from taking a step back from your fitness goal, right? And maybe just focusing on what your body looks like and focusing on healing your mindset and healing your relationship with food and giving yourself that grace, right? Versus feeling like you always have to be doing something and you always have to be either dieting or counting your macros or anything. Sometimes it's okay to take a step back from all of it. And I know it sounds scary, you know, by maybe not going to the gym for a week or two or eating foods that you possibly um, feel like you don't have control over. But doing those things and taking a step back and giving yourself that grace is going to allow you to learn that the world is not going to end. And it's going to allow you to learn that you're then going to have a healthy relationship with those things when we don't overly rely on them and overly rely on our on our mindset surrounding it. So I hope all of that makes sense today, guys, and I hope you found this podcast episode beneficial, and I hope you were able to learn something. And as always, if you found this episode to be spot on and you really enjoyed it and you want to tell all your friends, leave the Strength Through Food Freedom podcast a five-star review on iTunes, screenshot it to me, send it to me at Julia with two underscores Feliciano on Instagram. And then from there, we're going to hop on a complimentary discovery call and where I will be able to learn a little bit about what you're struggling with and talk about ways in order to help you overcome them. Okay. And if you are ready now, and if you are feeling called for help and called for me as your coach, head to my website, strengththroughfoodfreedom.com hit the work with Julia tab and fill out my one-on-one coaching application to work with me. It's going to take you a few minutes. It's going to allow me to learn a little bit more about what you're struggling with, learn a little bit more about how I can help you. And most of all, learn if we would be a good fit for coaching together. And then from there, we'll hop on a call and we'll talk about coaching. So thank you for tuning in today, guys. I'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one.